Before we uh, get into the message today, this will be part three of our series, Completely Satisfied, How to Find Fulfillment in a World of Dissatisfaction. Uh, I want to give a couple of housekeeping things here. This is a very busy week this week at New Freedom Church because we will be having Christmas Eve service will be our next service at 8.45 p.m. You don't want to miss it. We put it after dinner time, so hopefully you can go ahead and have all your family festivities, have dinner, and bring the entire family. We have something very special for children. They can be right here. We will have nursery available, but uh, any children over four will be right here with us in this uh, family worship time at 8.45 for Christmas Eve. And then next Next Sunday, you need to know this, next Sunday, there will be no live in-person services here at the church. Everything will be online. We call this Home for the Holidays. And so there will be an 8.30 and a 10.30 service, but they'll be online. So look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, don't come here next Sunday. <laughs> That's right. Just tune into uh, our website or on Facebook, any social media, YouTube, and you can watch us online. And then the uh, next service after that, January the 2nd, we will not be in this room, but we will be gathering in person. We're going to be in the gap room for that Sunday only so that we can clear up some space and some time to finish a couple renovation projects that we want to do in our auditorium so that when you come back in here for the new year, uh, it's going to be a little bit different and it's going to be a blessing to all of us who gather here regularly. We want to welcome uh, all of those who are online with us right now. Can we just give them a hand and make them welcome? Thank you, online audience. So good to have you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the second chapter of the book of Luke. We want to look at the gospel according to Luke this morning, again, as we embark upon this journey through being completely satisfied. Say that with me, completely satisfied. We have all heard it said that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And in some ways that's true, but for some circumstances, that's absolutely not the case. And so we want to hold this tension between being completely satisfied and having all the joy and festivities of Christmas, along with some of the grieving and the weeping and the loneliness that also comes this time of year. But in preparation for this series, one thing that I know for sure from my own life, and I would think would be the same with all of us, is that at one time or another, whether it was a young uh, memory of uh, being a child as we rush out to see what uh, presents are under the tree that Christmas morning, or the anticipation that we had been building over a long period of time to get to that great Christmas day, or maybe it was as a parent as you wait for your children to unwrap their presents, at one time or another, at some venture in our lives, Christmas has been the sentinel moment where we have looked towards something that will bring us complete satisfaction. Christmas has this buzz around it. It has this aura that there is a glimpse, there is a moment where something in the world can be right, even if it's just temporary, that my heart can be filled and I can be completely satisfied. However, we know that complete satisfaction wears off. It's just a temporary thing because soon something will come that will get us unsatisfied again. And so here's what I want to tell you is that you cannot be and you will never be completely satisfied long-term in this broken world. In the world in which we live, you will never be and you cannot be completely satisfied. However, stay with me, however, you do have the opportunity. There is a, a, a glimpse, a, a deposit, I would say. It's a down payment on satisfaction. This down payment is what we feel in times when we recognize that God has blessed our heart, that God has invaded our lives and something just feels right about 
the moment. And that is a foretaste of glory divine. Being completely satisfied will be found only in Jesus. And Jesus truly is the centerpiece of all of our Christmas festivities and celebrations. Today, I want to look at being completely satisfied, whether you are young or old, married or single, lonely or lost. My message to you today, God is for you. God is for you. The Christmas story truly has something for everyone. I mean, you can read this Christmas story and you can find that there truly is something for everyone found in the Christmas story. And that's why I want to look at young and old. I want to look at married and single. I want us to look at lonely and lost because it is all right there. You don't have to go very far into the search of our current social culture to realize that being young and famous and strong is more highly apprised than being elderly and feeble and weak. The marketing and advertisement industries in our nation and around the world make millions upon multiplied millions of dollars in trying to sell us the next latest and greatest craze, the cream, the clothing, the exercise equipment that will cause us to look young and feel young and have vitality. And then, and only then, when we get that level of satisfaction, we will have everything we need in life and we will then be young and strong and bold and completely satisfied. How many knows advertisers, they lie. (laughs) It doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy long-term. Of course, the effects may be temporary, but it doesn't satisfy long-term. That's the world. But in the church, we are just a little bit more savvy. We maybe just have a leg up on them a little bit when it comes to highly valuing the wisdom of an aged life. We in the church have a little bit more perspective to recognize that being young is not the sentinel mark of accomplishment in life because the young then eventually turn old. And so we look into our own hearts, we look into our own lives, we look into our families and we see there is something to be offered by every person, whatever their mode of life, whatever their status of being, wherever their journey finds them, there is something that each one can teach us and we as learners can learn. The church, however, is not quite as good at recognizing another couple of areas of life. And that is the first one that the church does not minister very well to is the single. Churches by nature are structured, designed, and set up to minister to families. Now, I'm just giving you some real talk here. And, And this is not just in New Freedom Church, but this is the church culture around the world that churches are primarily driven to minister to family units, to people who are going through all the cycles of life and and bringing up young children, of course, is vitally important. We apprise the, the youth and the children of our church at a very high level. We invest in them in the church as we should. We throw in entire outreaches and, and yearly uh, events for attracting uh, in the community the young families and young people into this church. And so this is a vital aspect of church life. However, one of the things that the church world tends to neglect is the category of people who are single. But that sound also in the Christmas story. We'll get there in a minute. There's a second area that I think the church really not consciously neglects, but almost overlooks or maybe glosses over because we just simply don't even know how to oftentimes minister to this group. 
and that is the lonely. People who simply feel alone. And you see, here's the category of lonely people is it's harder to define than single. Single people are pretty evident. Okay, they're not with someone, they're single. But lonely people are from all ages, all demographics, married, unmarried, wealthy, poor, employed, unemployed, educated, uneducated. Loneliness is a human problem. Loneliness is a condition of our soul. It was so recognized by God from the very beginning that he looked at the the great creation. He looked at Adam and he said, it is not good. Here's one of the things that God said, it isn't good. It is not good for man to be alone. And though what he did is he set out to make a helper for man. And then we see the creation story and Eve came into being because God had desired that man, that woman, not be alone. And God sets the lonely in families. That's what the, that's what the, the psalm says, is God sets the lonely in families. So we should never assume that just because a person has a lot of friends, just because a person is married, just because a person may be dating someone, just because a person may seem to have a social network around them that they can't be lonely. Loneliness is not measured in how many people you have around you. Loneliness is a condition of the heart and the soul. Luke chapter two, the Christmas story addresses so many of these people. I want you to look at them with me today. We're gonna open up with verse eight. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. I don't think I I gave this to you uh, in in the media, so just take that one down, but I haven't given you this. Let me go to verse nine. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around about them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel of the Lord said, do not be afraid. Here is the antidote for loneliness. Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to how, how many people? All people. The lonely, the lost, the young, the old, the rich, the poor shall be to all people. For this day is born to you, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great, there was with the angels, a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The Christmas story according to Luke. But let's look at these categories because in this story, no one is neglected. Everyone is addressed and we can find our heart's home crouched within the pages of this book. Mary was 14 years old by contemporary estimates at the time that she received the announcement that she was going to be the mother of God. Just a little Jewish girl of 14 years old. Now we in our culture and society think that would be a little bit young to be having a baby. But in that culture, that was pretty common. She was already betrothed and and engaged to be married. And so she was preparing her heart for her eventual uh, uh, life as a, a wife and a mother. But she was a little bit unprepared for what was about to happen. The announcement of the angel at 14 years old comes to her and says, you're going to be a mother. And she says, I don't even understand how this can be. I've never known a man in an intimate way. I've never been with a man in that way. And the angel says, Blessed are you, Mary, you are highly favored of God. 
a 14-year-old being highly favored of the Lord. It's estimated that her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, was probably about 18. He was a little bit older than her, uh, some depicting much older, but, but uh, commentators say that he was probably about 18 years old. So we have Mary, very young, Joseph just coming into kind of his, his own as a man, and then we have God using an infant to change the world. We have baby Jesus. God is for the young. Somebody say, God is for the young. Yes, he is. Now, God can do anything. So why not just send Jesus as a full-grown man that has all the ability, all the knowledge, doesn't need to learn anything? Why don't we just, just beam him down from heaven as a full-grown man and let him walk the earth and teach and talk and then bring him back up again? Why do we have to start with a little baby? Why an infant baby is, is the story being told through? Why is a 14 and an 18-year-old the star of the show when God could do anything? I would have thought conventional wisdom would say that God would choose someone as a power couple in their late 20s who are strong, who are intelligent, highly educated, from the right family lineage, and these would be the ones that would teach us the Christmas story. But God is for the young. God didn't do it that way, did he? God chose to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God is for the young. Now, if I jump into contemporary culture for just a moment, and I look at the news headings and all of the, the things that are happening in our world today, and I decipher the Christmas story against the pages of our newspapers and what's happening in our culture, I can tell you that my entire life long, my American experience... I have never known anything except the culture wars, particularly around the born and the unborn, particularly around the pro-life and the pro-choice mantra that has dominated our world over the last 40 plus, almost 50 years. That's been my entire American experience. And everybody on the pro-life side wants to say, God is pro-life. And there are those on the pro-choice side that want to say, God is pro-choice. But the reality is, God is neither Republican nor Democrat nor independent. I'm sorry to upset somebody's apple cart. You thought God voted like you vote. God doesn't look at whether uh, we have an R or a D or an I next to our name, but God considers this. Are you on his side? Are you on his side? Are you on the Lord's side? And so here's what I want to announce today. God is first pro-life. He is for the young. But then secondly, God is pro-choice. First, God is pro-life because he apprises life from even before we were created in the womb, God knew us individually, was knitting us together, knew us. And then God is pro-choice because later on in the scriptures, we find that he speaks through the entire nation of Israel through the mouth of Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve. So God is loving to our choices. God wants us to choose. And from a very young age, as we come up into valuing life and valuing the gift of God that he has given to us, we see this in the Christmas story that God chose to use the blessing of a 14-year-old girl's womb to bring forth everlasting life into this world. There were choices all along the way that he dignified them to be able to make. 
And God gives us, God gives you and gives me this Christmas a choice. Are we going to focus on the negativity of our world? Are we going to engage in the culture wars that will cause us to be battered and torn in our heart? Are we going to just look at the headlines and all the, the things that are happening in the world well beyond our control? Or are we going to choose joy? Are we going to choose hope? Are we going to choose peace? Are we going to choose to embark upon this great journey of satisfaction that can only be found in Jesus Christ? That's our choice, and that's our heart's desire. Matthew 19 and 14 says that Jesus looked at them, let the little children come unto me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. God is for the young. 1 Timothy 4 and 12 says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. God thought so much about the young that he said, don't let anybody talk you out of it. Don't let anybody despise you or talk down to you just because you're young. You too can be an example to the believers. And here's exactly how you do it. But hold on, because we're not done. God is for the old. God is for the old. Young ones, listen up, perk up your ears. God is for the old. Look at Luke chapter one, verse 18. It says, and Zacharias said to the angel, here's a man named Zacharias having a conversation with an angel. This is a preset up to the story of Christmas. You can read this in Luke chapter one. He said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an, say it with me, old man. And my wife is well advanced in years. Now, here's what I love about Zacharias. You gotta love the Bible. And sometimes you gotta read the Bible with a little bit of, of uh, humor, okay? Zacharias was not only an old man, Zacharias was a wise man. He wasn't about to call his wife old. He was wise enough to say, she's advanced in years. Isn't that pretty good? I gotta like Zacharias. In fact, we don't have anything in this church old. We have some people who are a little more interesting in age than others, but we don't have any old people around this church. Zacharias said, how can this be? I'm an old man. He's like, I can own up to that. I'm an old man, but my wife, she's well advanced in years. How is this going to be? And this was an announcement the angel had brought. This is a precursor to what we see announced in the life of Mary and Joseph and their family. He was about to be told, and he was, he was pondering, how can his wife, Elizabeth, give birth to a child when she is old? And this was an announcement that she was going to give birth to a forerunner of Jesus, we know his name is John the Baptist. We see this story before the Christmas story right here in the scriptures. And when we see this story, we see that this is an announcement of a miraculous conception, not an immaculate conception, but being so old, she was past, well past childbearing age, there was to be a miraculous, a miracle happened in her conceiving of this child and Zacharias could not even fathom how this could happen. He was asking the angel these questions. And look at Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Here we see another honorable mention of an old person in Scripture. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The scripture says that Simeon was an old man. How many believe the scriptures? 
Now I'm going to take you into some first and second century history for a moment on Simeon. This isn't Bible. This is commentary. Okay. So don't go out of here and say, Pastor Joe said this is Bible, but I will tell you, it's a fascinating fact of first century uh, writing is that many believed, especially in the Eastern Orthodox church, that Simeon was one of the original 72 interpreters of the Septuagint. Now the Septuagint was a Hebrew um, uh, translation. It was, a, it was a translating the Hebrew scriptures into uh, the Greek language. And there were 72 translators that had worked on that. If in fact they were right, that Simeon was one of the original 72 translators, then he would have been at this time that he was about to have this prophecy fulfilled, he would have been over 200 years old. Now, that's not Bible, but we have some pretty good evidence that points into that place. Now, the scripture said he is an old man, so I'll just take that. He is an old man. So God is for the old, but we're not done yet because there's some more. Luke chapter 2, verse 36, it says, Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. This establishes how that she is in the right standing of God. Okay, it's giving all of her, her credentials, you would say. She was of, the Bible is so diplomatic, great age, and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who, had, who did not depart the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Somebody say God's for the old. God is so for the old that he puts all of these characters right here at the beginning in the Christmas story. We should highly value and highly apprise the wisdom, the advice, the perspective of those who are ahead of us in this journey of faith. Can I get an amen? amen. We should highly value their wisdom. They have something for us to learn because God is for the old. But let's transition just a minute here because in this story, we also see another category, that God is for the lonely. God is for the lonely. Zacharias was old and he was married, but yet he was lonely. Now, how do I know that he was lonely? Well, here's how I know he was lonely. If you go on and read that, verse, it'll tell you that because of his questioning, how will this happen? And because of this amazing thing that was revealed to him, it wasn't so much a sign of judgment, but I think it was just a preparation series of silence that he was struck to be mute. He couldn't speak. After getting this revelation, asking this question, somehow his tongue was stuck. He was not able to speak. And it even says that he motioned with his hands. He was, I guess, an early contributor to sign language. He was trying to express himself. He was trying to explain to others what God had revealed to him, and nobody got it because no one had experienced what he was about to experience. And though he was trying to convey a message, he was lonely because he couldn't quite communicate what he wanted to say. If you ever just had something on your heart, something on your mind, there's something you're going through, and you would really like to be able to convey that to someone else, but it just doesn't quite come out right. 
It seems as though no one has really experienced what you're going through, and it feels like you're all up by yourself. You're on an island all alone, and you really can't even articulate with words what it is you're feeling in your heart, but you just know that there's something you would love to unburden. There's something you would love to just get off your chest. This is where Zacharias finds himself. He was lonely for a season of not being able to convey in articulate language and words what it was he was experiencing. He was also lonely in the fact that no one else had ever experienced something quite like this. He was treading in new waters. So even though he was married, even though he was a priest and had a great community of faith around him, yet he found himself in a season, a period of time of loneliness. Loneliness doesn't have to be forever, but for a season of time, he was lonely. How about Elizabeth, his wife? Elizabeth, though married, was lonely. How do I know she was lonely? She was lonely because a woman of her age was not conceiving a child. They don't have clothes to fit a woman her age at Babies R Us. She was not with other girls her age that was going through what she was going through. When the other girls had stories about stretch marks, she said, honey, I can show you the sag marks. I mean, there wasn't any such notion for what she was going through. She was married. She was joyful over this blessing, yet she was lonely. You know, you can be blessed and lonely at the same time. She was going through a season of having not a very good relationship with her husband because he couldn't even communicate and he would try to sign language and she didn't understand what he was saying, but yet somehow they kind of both knew what was going on, yet they were lonely because he had to stay in the temple for this time. He had to stay away from his own home for this season. And there are seasons and times in life where you have to do things that you wouldn't want to do all life long, but you get lonely in that season. And here's the thing, you just need to stick it out. You just need to walk it out. You just need to get to the other side. God is for the lonely. But there's some other loneliness that we find in the scriptures. Simeon, he was lonely. Think about it. If, if he was 200 years old plus, he had already outlived all of his contemporaries, likely didn't even have very much family left. He had outlived all of them too. All of his best friends growing up were already gone. He had been to so many funerals. He probably had this thought, what am I doing here? What is my purpose? Why am I still even living? There is a loneliness to the call of God that comes upon our lives. And all of us have different calls and different purposes, but Simeon was certainly a lonely person. He had seen so much death in his life that he was wondering, what am I doing here still? And maybe you find yourself this Christmas season in an aged place. Maybe you feel feeble. Maybe you feel like you just don't really have much to contribute. And you're wondering, like Simeon, what am I doing here still? Why am I still around? Do I really have a purpose? Well, God is for the lonely. Anna. Anna may be the one that touches my heart the most about this whole story. You have to look at Anna for a minute. She was lonely, even as being a devout woman of God. Look what the scripture says about her, that she was a devout woman of God. 
that she was serving God with all of her heart, with her time, with her talent. Everything in her life was dedicated and given unto God. And yet she was so lonely because she had outlived her husband by many, many, many years and had never remarried. It says that she was a virgin since seven years, uh, married seven years from her virginity and she was about 84 and she was widowed for all that period of time. Anna was lonely because she knew the pain of what it was to lose a soulmate. She knew the pain of what I will call the empty chair at Christmas. And for those of you, and there are many, who are both here and online, who know what it's like to put on a smile at Christmas because everybody's joyful, but yet in your heart, all you have is memories. Anna knows what you're going through. Anna knows, and it's right there in the Christmas story, for all to observe that God is for the lonely. Listen, when Christmas comes for those who have lost a loved one, there is a mixed bag because at one sense of the word, they're, they're joyful for those who are joyful. The scripture tells us rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And for those of us who have lost someone close to us, it doesn't just have to be a spouse. It can be many different people, many close to our lives. But for those of us, there is this mixed bag because we want to rejoice and smile with families even our families, as we watch them gather around the table and the Christmas tree, and we watch them as they're seeing their kids and their children and their grandchildren open presents. And we know, and some of you know better than I know, that as you observe those families and their joy, they may just be living some of the very best years of their lives, and they don't even realize it. Anna knew. She knew that pain. God's for the lonely. But then there's also that sense that God's not done with me yet. And if I truly believe in this hope, the way the word says it, the way that Scott mentioned it a minute ago, the way that we sung about hope, then I also know that Jesus talked in Matthew 19 about something that hasn't arrived yet, but what we all long for, and it's called the renewal of all things, the restoration of all things. And that tells me, and that tells you through this story, that even though we have losses here on this earth, there is coming a day when God is putting all things right again, when God is bringing all things together again. And then that day and in that place in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, there'll be no more dying, no more sighing, no more crying. We will be reunited forever to be with those that we love and the one who called us into his marvelous light. There is hope for you. Though you may be lonely today, just know this, the Christmas story addresses you too because God is for the lonely. Let's look at Mary. Mary, she would have been lonely that even though she had a fiance, she was walking through this life with Joseph. He had some understanding what was going on because the angel revealed it to him. She was still lonely. Even Mary, having been entertained by angels, found herself lonely. How? Because she was the only person ever to be impregnated as a virgin, to be conceptually conceived of while yet a virgin. No one had known this. No one had experienced this. There was no textbook for this. There was no doctor that could tell her about this. Mary was walking a lonely path. But Joseph was too. Joseph was lonely because he was the only man who was ever asked 
to trust by faith that his fiance, whom he had not been with intimately, was pregnant yet she wasn't unfaithful to him. How? God did it this way. And here's what I conclude from God being for the lonely is that there are so many people, I think at one time all of us probably do, we dream and we aspire to do great things for God. And when we want those things to come into our lives, we think that we have counted the cost. We think that we have sized it up to say, you know what, God, I think I'm ready. Put me in the game. Get me off the bench. I want to go in the game. But can I tell you that the price of admission to following the plan of God in your life oftentimes will be loneliness because you will be misunderstood. You will be ridiculed. You will be laughed at. You will be mocked at times. There will be people who will have a whisper campaign to say, I don't know how she thinks she's ever going to do that. Look at where she comes from. Do you know her past? The price of admission to fulfilling and walking out the purpose and plan of God on your life may just be a season of loneliness. Can God trust you to remain faithful in a season of young age? Can God trust you to remain faithful in a season of loneliness? Can God trust you to remain faithful in a time of feeling the aches and pains of an elderly life coming to fruition in your body? Can God trust you to give you the blessing that you've always desired? He trusted them. And if this is any measurement, if this is any marker for us, then God wants to extend us that same invitation. If you're lonely in the place this morning, here's what I want to tell you. If you're watching us online today and you're lonely, here's what I want to say. We see you. I see you. I have thought about you all week long. But more than just me and more than just this congregation, God sees you and God knows. And this Christmas, you can be completely satisfied in the knowledge that God has bottled your tears, that God is holding you in his loving arms and that God has not forgotten about you. God is for the young, God is for the old, God is for the lonely, and God is for the single. This is one of the demographics in church that we just struggle with to really even acknowledge that there are people who are single. And here's the thing, there are people in our midst, there are people in our churches, in our communities who are single by choice. They chose to be single. They, they don't want to, to be in any kind of romantic relationship. And that's completely fine. But then there are also people who are single by circumstances that has happened to them or that is surrounding them that is beyond their own control. And so there are multiple ways that we can dissect and realize that someone is single. But let me just share with you from the Christmas story some single people who had a notable impact upon this story. John the Baptist the forerunner of Jesus, was the very first one to ever recognize the Messiah. Did you know that? That when Mary came close to Elizabeth while she was six months pregnant, that Mary had just become uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt. He jumped because he recognized that Mary was pregnant. That was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was single, yet the very first person to ever recognize the Messiah. And there is something about singleness that can hone your ability for discernment. 
There is something about singleness that helps you to be a little more focused on the intentions around you, on things that are happening in your midst. So apprise that and highly value that. Simeon was single. Anna was single. Yet in their own right, they all made great contributions to the Christmas story. Let's not forget this, that Jesus was single too. And so if you're a single person and you're crying out to God and you're praying in the name of Jesus, just understand he knows, he understands, he feels, he's been there. He knows exactly where you are. He feels your heart. The apostle Paul was likely married at some time in his life, but we speculate that later on in his writings, when he did the most work for God, he was in a season of singleness. He was serving the Lord in such a way that he didn't have the focus of a family that he was attending to. He was attending to the word of God and to prayer, to planting churches and to doing the work of God in his life. And the apostle Paul never cast down on married or single people. He said, in fact, I would prefer that you be like me, unmarried. But if you're going to marry, go ahead and marry. That's fine. And he was giving this contrast of there are things you can do as a single person that you cannot do as a married person. There are opportunities and, and, and open doors that will uh, come to you that you will have to walk through as a single that you won't have as a married person. And so what he's saying is God is for the single. Don't cast out or cast down on somebody who is single, but highly value them and recognize that maybe you need to walk with them for a season. Maybe some single people need to get together and not for a purpose of trying to find a mate, but to just do life together just to love one another, just to be there to pray with one another, to hold someone's arms up in a time of need. So God is for the single. God is for the lonely. God is for the old. God is for the young. But lastly, God is for the lost. Each of these people in one way or another that I've just mentioned were lost. In one way, in some way, in many ways, they were lost. They were either at a loss for words. They were at a loss for understanding what was happening in their here and now. Some were lost in long periods of having to wait. And if you're like me, you don't like that waiting time. I don't like to wait. I want to pray today, get the answer tomorrow. But some were lost in waiting. Some were lost over a love that had died in their life whether it be a loved individual, a loved one in their family, whether it be the loss of a loved dream, a loved desire, some kind of calling that they loved, it was lost and they were in a time of wandering. But God is for the lost. I wanna finish with the Christmas story out of Luke chapter two, verse 27 through 32. And I have up here a picture. I hope you can see this. It's not the best, but when you get home, just look it up. You can look it on your phone here later on. It's called Simeon's Moment. I want to go back to Simeon for a minute. This is probably, I was telling someone this morning, this is my favorite Christmas picture because of what it conveys. Verse 27. So he, Simeon, came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. This was to bring him to dedicate him at his time of dedication, probably eight days after his birth. Jesus, just an infant here. Simeon, verse 28, 
he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. What's he saying? According to your word, just like you promised you would do. I knew it all along, God. I knew it. You were true to your word. It took years and years of waiting. I'm an old man, but I remember what you told me in that time of prayer that you would never forsake me. You would never leave me. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon's moment. Are you waiting for your moment with God? Through the Christmas story, we discover that the true light of Christ has appeared to everyone at all different times and not necessarily in the manner of their choosing But when they encountered his light, they were found. Have you been found? Have you seen that light? And now you have this deep sense of satisfaction for the longing that has plagued your soul. You see, it's only in and through Jesus that we can be completely satisfied. So this Christmas, I want to urge you to do something. Would you look past all of the presence? Look beyond the tinsel and the lights. Put your mind beyond the parties and the festivities and simply look to Jesus. See Jesus this Christmas and you will be completely satisfied. Now with heads bowed, I'm gonna say a simple prayer And if you resonate with anything in this story today, just pray this after me. We're gonna close with a song. We've got a couple of announcements, but this is the most important part because this is you taking a step of faith towards God in prayer. And I'm gonna speak to those who are young, to those who are old, to those who are lonely, to the single. I wanna speak to the lost. And this is the prayer that I'm gonna ask you to say after me. It's very simple prayer, but it's very powerful. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, at Christmas this year, I wanna see the light. Show me your glory and I will follow. Amen.